This is The Inner Game. I'm Gwen Garcelon, your host. Thanks for tuning into The Inner Game today. The Inner Game is about how we nurture and attend to our mind, body, spirit, health, and how that allows us to play a bigger game and make a bigger contribution in the area of purpose that calls to us. And these are conversations with people who are committed to making an evolutionary difference with their lives from a place of balance and love and service. Oh, today is a special day for me because 30 years ago, on June 6th, 1993, my life almost ended. I almost died on several occasions that summer. (laughs) And every year since, I have celebrated this day as my life day and done something special to commemorate the day and make sure I have some time for reflection and prayer. And so I was really thrilled. I actually had another show that I was ready to air. um, But when I realized it was my life day, I was like, you know, I need to I need to share some reflection because it's been a big time this life since then. And before I, uh, you know, I wanted to take this time to, you know, really look back over what has emerged for me over the past 30 years of life, the rich spiritual journey that it's been, and just kind of look back from this vantage point. I realized that I had shared about this event once before on The Inner Game, way back in July of 2018. And I, when I was looking at that, I was looking at how significant that date was and the five years since then that have been such a time of exponential growth in so many ways. From a consciousness standpoint, definitely for me and for sure for the whole world. And, you know, the dark night of the soul in some ways that it's been for, for certainly for me and and for a lot of us, but, um, you know, realizing that the extent to which I have explored deeper shadows in my life and in the collective, it's allowed for an expansion of allowing joy in and healing and light into my life to sustain through all of the uncertainty of these times. So so I'll say a little bit about what happened there 30 years ago. So it was June 6th. 1993, and I fell off a cliff into East Snowmass Creek. I was hiking with my boyfriend at the time, Craig Wheelis, who I owe my life to. And for many years after, I would call him on June 6th to say thank you. And I still think of him with so much gratitude every year. And also the the Snowmass Fire Department and Mountain Rescue Teams that pulled me out of that crazy chasm filled with fresh snow melt. It was it was really nuts, and um, many of them risked their lives to save mine. On on two thousand and three, that was my ten year life day. I threw a big party and invited all the first responders who had been a part of my rescue, so I could celebrate them. And it was just so amazing to hear their stories and just celebrate the miracle of being alive and the miracle of saving a life, of living a life that was saved, (laughs) the whole nine yards. 
And, you know, today, as I was really thinking back on it, um, I, I, you know, and I, I was listening to what I shared on the show in 2018. And, um, and I, I, I decided to kind of look through the experience through the lens of three principles that I've used um, to lead um, my work and, and my life um, for quite a, quite a long time now. And those principles are compassion, humility, and confidence. And for those of you who know me, you know I'm working on all of those <laughs> a lot, all the time, because I have a long way still to go. But they have been a beautiful lens and guide. And I was listening to a podcast earlier um, where Roshi Joan Halifax, who's a Buddhist nun, had, uh, was sharing about um, some of the work that she wrote about in her book, Being with Dying. And she wrote about compassion um, and and the the compassion burnout that many of us are experiencing in these times because it's it does leave us um you know with such uh tender and raw hearts often to be with all of the change happening in our world and the uncertainty that's coming with that and something that really helped me um that she says is is to is that when you when we are are burning out from our deep compassion for the suffering of others and the suffering of many species on the planet including our own that to 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 realize that we can be with this suffering and not have to own it as our own that it's actually a an honoring of um someone else's path to allow them to be with the suffering that is in their life that we can that we can be with it and be open to it and hold space for others and not have to take it on that's when we go into compassion burnout so actually I'm going to back up a little bit and say a little bit more about the accident because um, you're probably wondering. <laughs> so when I fell off that cliff into East Snowmass Creek um, from a hiking trail, um, it it was after a big snow year, and the ground was probably more unstable than it looked. And I tumbled about a 40, 150 feet down a ravine and off a 40-foot cliff into East Snowmass Creek. And after, you know, my boyfriend found me not breathing and was able to get me revived twice because <laughs> I'd fallen down into the water again at one point. Um, he went to get help, and that was incredible in and of itself. He fell down the cliff because it was wet from the big waterfall that had initially drawn us to this place. Um, 
And eventually Mountain Rescue came and had to rig up a litter system where they put me in a basket and were pulling me up out of this very deep chasm. It was a very cold. People all had hypothermia, including me, which ironically was probably one of the things that ended up saving my life in those early stages. When I got to the hospital, my body core temperature was about 74, and people will often go into cardiac arrest just from that alone. Um, but for some reason, um, I was in very good cardiovascular shape at the time, and that pulled me through. Um, they actually sent me home from the hospital after you know, rewarming me overnight and, and, and I went for, there was no trauma surgeon on staff at Aspen Valley Hospital at that point. So there were just sort of visiting doctors there. And the one who sent me home said to come back in 24 hours and get a checkup from whoever was there next. And when I went back after that 24 hours, (laughs) The doctor who was there said, you're barely breathing. You need to go back to the hospital right now. And they ended up doing a whole huge um, reconstructive lung surgery on me, um, kind of in an emergency situation. So, you know, that was sort of the beginnings of a summer where, you know, it ended up that I'd been alive for six weeks at some at one point with a ruptured aorta that. 90% of people hemorrhage to death on the spot from um, it's a common trauma injury from hitting that hard from a height. And yeah, that was, that was quite something. It seemed like every time I went back to the doctor, they were cutting me back open to fix something that they had missed. Uh, but luckily, through the miracle, you know, of all the miracles that converged on that situation, Um, That was not my time to go. And, you know, spiritually thinking back, I, before that June, I had um, lived with my guru in her ashram for a year, really committing myself, finally just really diving in deeply to, I would say not a commitment to my spiritual path, but really just an acknowledgement that what was true for me was to have that spiritual connection alive and at the center of my life as much as I could manage. And, And so that's where I was, very centered in that place at the time of the fall. And I do remember a time after... The first really big lung surgery, which the the rehabilitation from that was really excruciating, especially in the early days. And I remember at one point feeling like, huh, I may not be able to keep breathing. I wasn't anxious about it. I was just sort of fascinated because I felt like I was being held in the palm of the, you know, in in the safest, most sacred place where there was nowhere to fall away to. I was just absolutely connected. I was, I was so, uh, so aware of the oneness of, 
everything (laughs) and my connection to that, thus my connection to everything. And so I didn't feel afraid of dying because it didn't feel like that was going to separate me from anything. It would just be on to the next beautiful, potent, amazing experience. But I do remember the pain and I just tried to keep breathing and apparently that was okay (laughs) because that kept me going um, and I was able to heal through this whole amazing experience. And and I think, you know, what, what I'm aware of now as I look through just many lenses, I, I've been, I've, let's see, I, I think I will uh, take a quick break and just say, for those just joining, this is Gwen Garcelon and you're listening to The Inner Game on KDNK. And I'm sharing some lessons from my life day, which is today. 30 years ago, I had a big fall off a cliff and um, almost lost my life. And, and ever since, I've, I've spent this day as a time of reflection and was just realizing that, that, there's, um, that there's, a, there's a strategy that I started to teach in, in about 2018, oddly enough, that same year that I shared this story for the first time on the inner game. Um, I was working with an architectural firm helping their um, their operations to reflect their commitment to sustainable design in uh, in a more holistic way. And I designed a, a several what I call deep dives to take some of the leaders in the company into a more embodied and felt experience of what was going on on the planet. Because I knew that that was something that was helping me to orient around a set of values that was about being in service to the world, into regenerating um, our world. And and I knew that it would have to happen through some kind of an emotional experience that was able to break through whatever was in the way of this company really taking a next step in its courage as a, a leader in the field. And one of the practices that I had people explore was what I called moments of awe. And in the years since, I've realized that um, about actually about the same time as I was teaching that in the deep dives, um, there was a- another um, man out there researching awe and and had a book come out about it lately. And it's so funny, you know, how how there's that synchronicity because the the importance of awe is that it opens our hearts and it, well, many things, it puts us in touch with our humility um, in, the, in the face of the, all of the miracle that it is to be alive. And, 
and what's around us. And we, and when we are in that place, it opens up the set of circumstances in the brain for things like complex collaboration, greater empathy, greater access to creativity. So there's actually a really important amazing opportunity through the experience of awe, through the practice of awe, to help us be more suited to meet the challenges of these times. And that was, that just really hit me from the, from my very first, before I'd known about this research and was teaching the practice moments of awe, where I was encouraging people to think about the things in their lives that that put them in a state of awe. It could be the, you know, birth of a child or the um, being on the top of a mountain after an amazing hike or, or just experiencing a crocus burst through the soil in the spring. You know, just any of those things, a, a beautiful song, if we're really, most of us are very open to the emotional impact of music. So any of those things that give us access to awe, to, to really make a commitment to put ourselves in those places where we are having that experience more intentionally and more regularly so that we're not going through days or weeks without an experience of awe because of that, of that beautiful gift of awe that puts us in that brain state and that heart state that allows us to be innovative and be problem solvers and be in, in that kind of uh, generative relationship with each other and it help others to experience awe. So there's more of us having that openness. So that's been something that has um, been such a gift of this time since the, and I, you know, I never like to um, refer to it as an accident because especially, you know, as time goes on, I see it more so as a really sacred um, experience that was so beautifully orchestrated by the universe to do what I've, I've just chosen is always happening. And that is that no matter what the circumstances are, everything is showing up for our highest and best for the greatest opportunity of our evolution. And that's what this experience has certainly been for me. Hmm. I have all these different notes that I've jotted down throughout the day. And excuse my lack of um, being a little bit more prepared, but, you know, I kind of chose on my life day to just really be present to, to the beauty of this day. And, and, um, and, to, and the, the beauty of being able to just be present and not be worrying about what needs to be done, what needs to happen here and there, but just to just to be all here now. <laughs> As Ram Dass said, being here now is a big deal. 
You know, something else I I was thinking about as I was thinking about making this the first annual Life Day episode, Um, because it's the first time I'm I've been able to do my show on my Life Day, and I'm thinking, you know, this would be a really beautiful practice to have this this chance each year to do some deep reflection myself and share it in an inner game episode. So, so this being the first one, building on that one in 2018, where I was looking through that lens of my evolutionary principles of compassion, humility, and confidence. And thinking about all the deeper lessons I've received about grief this year and how compassion is um, is such a big part of the experience of grief, mainly to ourselves, being able to have enough self-compassion to allow ourselves the vulnerability of grief, because it's an absolutely vulnerable space to be in. And what we know, a la Brene Brown's amazing work on vulnerability, is again, it's what connects us in a deep way to each other. And when we're connected in that way, we are able to collaborate more creatively, have more confidence to act, to trust ourselves, to trust our intuition. You know, these are all things that we're learning through this beautiful research on things like shame and vulnerability and awe and grief. And so what I've learned about grief in the last few years is that it's an important part of these times. It's not something to be, to resist or to make wrong It's something to be absolutely embraced as a practice as well, because we need to discharge it on a regular basis so that we're not holding the heaviness of it, but we're allowing to do what grief is is designed to do, which is to restore our wholeness, our emotional wholeness, our psychic wholeness as human beings, because being human involves loss and confusion and disappointment and heartbreak, especially in these times of huge growth and letting go of the things that aren't working on this planet, that aren't working in our communities, that aren't working in our lives and our relationships, letting go, even when it's in the direction of something larger, still involves grief. And we need to allow ourselves to discharge that. And what we know about through beautiful research on grief is that it requires a witness. This is why in every culture, in every indigenous culture, there's a collective practice of grief. Unfortunately, in our Western culture, it's all too brief. We get together for a memorial service or a funeral and then after that, we're kind of on our own unless we have, you know, a, a, um, a network that will show up um, for us and allow us to grieve and continue to process. But that's getting more and more rare. And so 
what I've learned is to look for opportunities to have grief rituals, to do grief process. I've started designing retreats that include time for a grief council. And I at first was a little wary of that because I'm thinking, oh, who wants to go and grieve? And people have even told me that. But the amazing thing is that whenever I ask what people's highlight was from these retreats, they inevitably say it was the grief council and the grief work, getting to experience that together and release. And it makes me realize just how much we all need that. Again, on more of a regular basis, finding ways to, you know, like we get together for a book club, we could have a grief club. I mean, it sounds so outrageous, but we need it so vitally. Okay. Well, I think I'm going to end with just an ode to the first responders again, who all were just um, collaborating together so beautifully, which makes me, um, which, which is just a moment of awe for me to remember. I wasn't conscious at the time, so I don't remember what it was like during those really fraught moments when they weren't sure if I was going to make it. When they didn't weren't sure if other people there were going to make it, and and yet what they were able to do as volunteers, out of the huge generosity of their hearts and souls to show up for another human being, to save a life, it um, it always chokes me up, <laughs> and it makes me realize how very necessary our communities are and our life is to the people who play these roles in our community. So on that note, thank you so much for listening today. If you have a question for me, go ahead and join the Facebook page at The Inner Game and we can continue the conversation there. And I'll post the link for the July 2018 show so you can hear that too. Until next time, go big in your one precious life. Rocks are ancient